Hello and welcome back to the first episode of the new season of The Tigers Down Under. I'm Alex, your host as always, and with me I have Brad. Good evening. It's a uh, it's a first episode of the season. There's a, a bit that's happened over the off-season since our last episode uh, that we recorded um, about a month or so ago with Dan. Um, unfortunately, we'll start with the, uh, the bad news first, I guess, and the departures um, in the managerial front. With um, Nigel Adkins declaring over a statement that he re- <clears throat> a statement that he released on Twitter that unfortunately he wasn't able to renew his contract with the club, and importantly he said our futures are not aligned, and that was sort of the red flag for me in, in what he was saying. And um, <clears throat> I guess um, it was it was always a situation I was looking at quite closely where Adkins had sort of said he was quite happy to stay at the club as long as he could see some sort of path, some sort of planning towards an eventual promotion push. He didn't care about throwing millions of pounds at players. He just wanted to see some sort of recruitment plan, recruitment strategy, some sort of budget, some sort of plan to progress to the Premier League. And the fact that he clearly couldn't see that if he's not signed a new contract um, is a bit of a concern. You're not wrong. Um, (laughs) And in fact, I probably didn't realise until we started talking previous to the show that Adkins has actually coached us now for quite a few games compared to obviously his two or three predecessors, which is nothing uh, short of um, remarkable, really, considering the owners at the time. But it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that all the things we hear bundling away around players' contracts and where the future lies and transfer funds and all these sorts of things are just... We hit the same brick wall. It doesn't matter whether it's managers or players. They're pretty hard to rock up to work if you don't know whether the club's really going to be the same in a month or six months' time. Yeah, and I guess the um, the interesting thing or the very telling thing, I guess, with Adkins as well is it's not as if he's just walked into another job in the sense that it's not as if a club was in his ear and, and sort of talking him out of a new deal with us to, to go and sign for them. So, for instance, when um, Lampard left Derby, I thought that Adkins could be quite a logical sort of replacement for them at Derby, but he hasn't gone into a job straight away. So it sort of suggests that, well, in in a way, very similar to when Bruce left us on the cusp of a Premier League campaign. And you think, well, you know, this guy's walked away from, a, in Bruce's case, a Premier League job, in Adkins' case, a championship job, with nothing actually lined up. And that actually gives a bit of insight into just how poor the working conditions must have been or or just how um, unaligned, to use Adkins' term, the, the vision was between the owners and the manager to, to sort of walk away from that job and, and not feel like you're going to be given a fair go at it. Yeah, and look, probably to be fair to Adkins, he's probably actually got the fibre we were all questioning about when he first yeah. joined us. You know, is he really a guy who can make a tough call or is he a guy hanging on to... You know, what could be one of his last managerial jobs or whatever it was, but in the end, he's he's walked away because probably everything he was promised from the minute he first got to the club never eventuated. Um, and, I mean, let's face it, he, he would know what the future of Marshall and Campbell and these guys was probably going to look like because he would have probably already been privy to the contracts that would have been offered. Yeah. So, I mean, he's thinking, well, hang on, I can't keep who I've got 
let alone bring anyone in. So maybe he's got uh, – we should probably give him a bit more respect than we first did in the fact that he actually has got some resolution about him. Yeah, and I'll, I'll certainly put my hand up that when um, he was first linked in the press when Slutsky was sort of on his last legs that I was very adamantly opposed to Adkins because he just um, – one of the one of the few things that I did quite like about Ehab, um, Alan, was his strategy in appointing managers, at least up to that point, in his own words, was that he didn't want to dip on that uh, managerial merry-go-round that happens in England where you've got your, your Allardyces, your Pardews, your whoever it might be, the sort of older brigade, brigade of managers that have washed up from one job to the next, um, Moyes, Pulis, those sorts of guys. And he was going for the more young, exciting, the Marco Silvers, the Leonid Slutskys, to sort of try something new and, and sort of have a gamble at it. So when, when Adkins was linked, it seemed as if um, he was sort of moving back into that managerial merry-go-round, looking for that older, more experienced English manager. And I was very against it initially. Um, and, you know, the form at the start when he came in wasn't amazing. But as you said, I mean, he was in charge for 18 months. And really the form that we displayed from, uh, I guess, about two or three months into the, pre- the season just finished was remarkable. And when really, I think... At one point, we were the form team of the, of the league. We were, you know, in the top two for form teams. And really, if we'd started that form any earlier, we would have been a, a guarantee of a playoff place, if not if not higher in the table. Yeah, and look, that's pretty much sums it up. I've done it. If, it's all about earlier. If we, if we start pre-season with an extra player or two Correct. Yeah. or whatever yeah. it may be. And this is still the problem that the, the slow learners who own the club still don't get is that Brucey left whenever that was now, 16 or 17, he left because the, the, the resources aren't there and every manager since then has found out the same way, um, other than Slutsky who pretty much had to fall on his sword because we were, well, we were terrible. But every manager along that way has all found the same, same problem. We're just under-resourced and if you're going to run a shoestring, you're going to end up running a shoestring, aren't you? Yeah, someone posted on Twitter, and we'll, we'll talk about the uh, incoming manager in a second, but we'll, someone posted on Twitter following McCann's comments around hoping to get his transfer transfers done early. Similar comments from, from Adkins, from Slutsky, from Phelan, from the previous summers, um, which all didn't eventuate. Even, you know, Adkins, the, the January just gone, where he was sort of talking about some sort of moves being made to really shore up a, a push for the playoffs, which, again, didn't really... Eventuate. We had Ridgeville come in, but that was it. Um, so it, it is frustrating. We, we, we have made one signing, which we'll talk about in, in a little bit, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't really expect anyone to have come in yet. And, and we've got another player training with the club in uh, Mirabella. But other than that, it's a bit bleak on the, uh, on the transfers front. But at least on the managerial front, we have had um, the new manager appointed, Grant McCann, coming from Doncaster. A little bit surprised that we paid compensation for him. I really thought we were going to go for an out-of-work manager. It seemed um, where they can avoid it, the owners would be looking to just find someone on the cheap. Um, so that was a little surprising to me. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a young manager, so he, he's sort of bucked that trend that Adkins represented of the older, or older sort, or the older guard, back to that younger, more exciting, more adventurous sort of uh, roll of the dice in terms of the managerial stakes. Knows how to work on a really tight budget. Got Doncaster to the playoffs last season when no one really expected that from them, uh, and did pretty well with Peterborough before that. Um, he 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 present, presents quite a an interesting sort of prospect as the manager. Yeah, look, he does. Um, 
it probably I mean we just we just don't know do we I mean probably the only thing that seems to be apparent from those that know a little bit about Doncaster's run is that he did galvanize the players and got them on that common path and that's probably what we do need right now but having said that I mean these guys are all professional they're already getting paid already doing hard yards before he's even walked in so you're just hoping that probably he's got enough authority to actually run the place um and this is probably still the problem and you'd know yourself Alex in talking to certain people at certain times that if you're a player at that club you're not really sure what's happening within the year, let alone at the end of each year. So hopefully he's the one that can put all the BS aside and and use that sort of hard-nosed Northern Ireland approach, so to speak, to get uh, to get these guys really playing the same way and for the same cause. Well, yeah, and it'll certainly be interesting because from the sounds of things, he's a rather attacking manager, and I think it means that it could be a repeat of the Slutsky era of... Uh, big sort of score lines, either, you know, a 5-4 win or a 4-3 win or a, you know, 4-0 loss or something like that. Um, I guess the concern is as well that we've been linked with a lot of players that he had at Doncaster. So we'll talk in a, in a minute about Malik Wilkes going to Barnsley instead of signing for us. Um, but we've also got um, Ryan Tafazoli, I believe is how it's pronounced, training with us at the moment, uh, former player at Peterborough. Um there's a little bit of a concern that the owners probably look at this as quite an attractive way to sign players. They're a bit cheap. They're from League One. They're, um, you know, going to be quite eager to join a championship club. But the other side of that is if they don't have any championship experience, they could be found out quite quickly. And, and you sort of, you're building a League One squad. There's only one place you'll end up. Look, ex- exactly. I, I don't mind the idea, especially knowing the manager that we've now got, to bring in the sort of League One options if we're getting, you know, those, again, that hard-nosed type approach that he gets to pick the players that he thinks have got that. And I don't think the difference between League One and Championship is is probably as big on the defensive front, but I think more on the attacking front. So I think it gets back to how well we can hold some of the players that we've got in the forward half, considering Campbell's already gone um, and looking at the lineup for tonight or tomorrow morning, whichever way you call it. I think we've got, what, Dicko's the only recognised striker um, on the sheet, um, is that it, we've seen players, you know, from many different walks of life in the past, even going back to, you know, George Boyd surprising the hell out of us at different times and things like that. I don't think that the, the difference between League One and Championship is as great that you've got a fear of bringing players up a league. Um, but I do think that unless we're getting someone in that forward half who's proven to be able to do the job, um, then that's probably where we'll have the problems. Yeah, I think that's the concern at the moment is um, that lack of attacking options. I guess the club might be operating on the theory that until Bowen or Grzycki go, we operate on the assumption that we can hold on to them and we start to sort of make serious moves if or when they go. Um, for instance, we don't know how much we might be able to get for Bowen, so therefore that could shape or change our um, our strategy around a replacement. Um, Grzycki seems quite settled. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of the messages that he's been leaving on Milinkovic's Instagram. 
uh, to sort of say, you know, we've got a new manager, you've got to come back and do a job for us, we need you in the team, all that sort of thing. doesn't sound like a guy that's about to walk out the door. So um, he might he may very well be sticking around at least until January. Yeah, look, I don't I don't know what Krasuki's contract actually looks like. I but... think this is his last year. Right, okay. So, I mean, really, we know that he wasn't happy last year. We would assume that, obviously, by the way uh, he played... Yeah, he seemed to sort of settle in from about the halfway point. I th- yeah, I think maybe Adkins might have had something to do with that. Just, I don't know, maybe that bit of galvanising at the right time. But really, Grzycki at times has sort of showed that, oh, look, he wants to go, he doesn't want to go. I think he's probably just thought with the fact now that, look, he's playing good football, he's on a contract till another year, I think you said, he's probably just going to see how that goes. And at the moment, every time it's gone close for him moving, it's never come through. So there's obviously a good reason for that. Um, And maybe it all points back to the same top of the pyramid where the owners are pulling the strings and if it comes to negotiations, they're just going to keep trying to bleed whatever they can out of any deal and clubs will turn away. Yeah, although I, uh, I I like to I like I like to have faith in the fact that uh, I suspect that the owners are probably pretty keen to get he's probably our last big wage earner on the books. Um, I suspect they're pretty keen to get him out. So I like to hold faith that perhaps you know he, he's a bit of a rascal character. He's he's had his uh, his moments on social media which have um, made people sort of chuckle in in amazement or confusion at him, but. I wonder if there's a part of him that's sort of saying, oh, well, you know, I know what the fans' opinion of the owners are and, and I've got a contract here, so I know they want to get rid of me. I'm just going to stay and, uh, and yeah. sort of, you know, piss off the owners, which will help, you know, make the fans happy. But um, No, and that wouldn't knows. surprise me either. <laughs> he, he's a funny one. Um, but on players that have left, um, two big names departed at the end of their contracts last month or at the start of this month. Um, without... Any fanfare from the club, which was a little bit surprising, at least for uh, Fraser Campbell, um, who you know had a pretty big role in two different eras at the club. Obviously, back in 2008, the assister for uh, Dean Windass's winner at Wembley, and a, and a huge part of that season with his goals, uh, and then returning to the club over the last two seasons and weighing in with some pretty important goals. Um, until Bowen got going last season, he was really our only goal-scoring option for for a fair chunk of the season. And even when Bowen started scoring, you get those sort of lulls in games where we'd win one nil or something, and it'd be Campbell who's popped up with a goal. I think it was Bolton that really kicked start kick started our um our winning run or our surge in form. Where I think it was a, a Campbell goal in that game. So he um he weighed in with a lot of important goals, and and I was a bit disappointed with the way that the uh, the clubs farewelled him or, or hasn't failed farewelled him. No, I agree. I think um, we've all loved him and hated him at times, <laughs> especially when he was at Cardiff. But yeah, exactly. when he came back, the thing that probably impressed me the most, and, and even probably I didn't give him as much credit 10, 12 years ago when we we won that promotion year, is that um, he worked his ass off last year. And there was times where even if he came on for a 20-minute sub, he changed the way we played at times and even him not scoring. I still think there was games last year where we looked, you know, a 30, 40% better side when he came on um, just because of his work ethic. And if you go back through the highlights of last year, how many times was he annoying keepers and last defenders and all that sort of stuff. So not to mention, I, I don't know how many he scored last year, but I think he's he's still got to be running in sort of one in three games or one in four games over the last 
season and a half anyway. Um, yeah, look, it pretty much sums it up, mate. I'm, I'm amazed that the club didn't have some sort of hoo-ha to say goodbye to him because it probably shows where that history of the club's just been turned over. Um, uh, you know, with all the name change and all that sort of stuff, it's almost like, you know, in the last seven or eight, nine years now, whatever it's been, that uh, we just focus too much on this era and not what's gone on before. And um, it doesn't surprise me, I suppose. Um, not being negative all the time on the owners, but I'm going to be. Um, he's a legend yeah, of the club, really. Really meant it. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a legend of the yeah. club, whichever way you look at it. I mean, yeah, and that's the it, fact that he even came back after yeah. we booed him off the park a few times. Um, and I'm sure he had other offers going when he first joined us, but he probably felt like he had a bit unfinished business and I thought he was really good. Yeah, and it is it is kind of um, crazy when you think that that 2008 promotion feels so long ago, but he was sort of that connective tissue between those two eras where you think the 08, 09 team squad that we um, took into the Premier League that was sort of largely part to his work in 07, 08, um, and then you look ahead and it's, yeah, been, it's been 10 years exactly since that 08, 09, um, premiership campaign, um, that he, he's now back in the team. So sort of, I guess what, 10, 10 years between appearances for us. Um, and it's completely different areas of the club and he's sort of that connective tissue between the old and the new. And it was, um, a really important role that he played in different, completely different ways. I mean, in, in 07, 08, he was sort of that young pacey striker playing off Dino. And in 17, 18, and then 18, 19, he was that older sort of target man sort of role, you know, as you said, working his socks off, running the channels and, 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 and making a nuisance of himself. But he was that uh, sort of older striker with um, Bowen and Grzycki playing off him. So it was sort of a role reversal and, and you know, it's a sign of the times, I guess, but um, it, it's, it's, it's a, you know, important sort of part of our club history. And as you say, a club legend, uh, it was a very disappointing and, and who knows? I mean, Marshall's departure was only announced when he signed with Wigan. So potentially when, uh, when Campbell signs for his next club, um, that might be when we get it. I thought maybe, and, and probably, I don't know. The, the use of the word legends is interesting, and I still think he was. He was so important to that year that gave the club a whole new platform. Well, he sparked that... it all, didn't he? Because we were sort of he did oh, yeah. along, and then he came yeah. in, and 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 it off it off it went. And I mean, you look at that side in that year. We had goal scorers, but I, I can't remember how many he scored. But I think he must have scored was, at least fifteen. Yeah, I think it was nineteen. I could be wrong on that. There. But... So and then look at what happened last year with Bowen. Scoring what he did, I'd say Campbell must have at least scored ten last year. Yeah, last season. I'll pull that so up. you you know that's probably the thing that we we're talking about originally. You want to try and do something in this league this year. You need someone who's going to bang in ten plus goals. Well, we so just got rid of one. Yeah, you're right. So it was fifteen in that first season, and then twelve last year. So there he you go. From, so he twelve. Went, so he went from six in thirty six in his first season back with us in seventeen eighteen to twelve in yeah. thirty nine last year. So he actually picked up his work his um, output last year. Yeah, and then, and I think he, you know, just from an observation perspective, I think he really knew that he had to put it in last year, and he looked leaner. He looked like he was fitter. fitter. He was doing yeah. everything he can. Um, and I mean, going into this year, I don't think he's that old. That no, we can't be sort of throwing a good contract at a guy who's just scored 12, 12, 12 goals, I think he said, in a second 
you know, second striker role. I mean, that's what we need to get up. See, he's 31, but that's young enough that you could offer him a two-year contract with an option for a third um, to see how yeah. it goes. Uh, it's not, you know, he's not 35, 36 and past it. He's still very much, I mean, not in his prime, but he's not an old man either. Um, the interesting one, which is sort of uh, relevant from our side of things, is he's been linked in recent days or recent weeks with uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers, with uh, Jackson Irvine supposedly putting a good word in for the uh, for the Aussie club. So it'd be very interesting if um, he follows in the footsteps of uh, Garcia, who played in the A-League, Robbie Corrin played in the A-League, Allsop played in the A-League. So there's a few ex-City players who've, who've had a go down here. It'd be very interesting if another of the class of 08 came down and... Uh, had a go at it. Well, the good thing is we'd be able to actually ask him exactly what happened. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be very interesting to see indeed. Um, and then as, as we sort of touched on, the other departure was David Marshall, who, um, much like Adkins, I've got to put the, got to put the hand up and say um, I got it wrong on him. Um, you know, initially, he had a very rocky start to his City career, but boy, last season he really turned that around. And um, 11 clean sheets in the competition, considering what our defence was like at times, uh, very, very impressive return for him. And um, and I guess he kind of goes out with his head held high. Yeah, look, he was he was pretty good. And I think, look, when he was at Cardiff, I remember when he first joined us, Cardiff were really upset that he left, or the fans yeah. were. Um, and how much they rated him. So he obviously had it in him, um, and I can't remember how much we paid for him originally, but it wasn't cheap. Um, so the feeling it was maybe five million. Like that's I yeah. Like pull that out of nowhere, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So I mean, I know that's when Brucey probably had a little bit of money, but uh, paying five well, million right for a keeper Bruce, at that stage, well, we. I think we were linked to him um, with Bruce, but it was really Phelan who brought him in. I think so. I don't know if it was sort of. Um, Did he? Oh, okay. Said, yeah, because it was it was that uh, Premier League season where we got Marshall, we got Henriksen. It was a very odd window when you look at who he signed. It was Marshall, Henriksen, uh, Keane and Weir, and then uh, who else did we sign? It was bizarre because we just didn't sign. When you look back at it, there was just no... Oh, and Mason. Mason was the big one. But, um, right. Yeah, it was it was not a fantastic window, I must say. Yeah, well, I think at the time, they, uh, yeah, like I said, their supporters were a bit upset. So he obviously had it in him, but um, when he finally got to string a few together, and obviously the defence did get a lot more resolute last year at times, and really probably he felt probably like he was really dictating terms a bit. There were some games there where he looked like he was, you know, the best keeper in England on, on certain days. Um, but, uh yeah, shame to see him go. But again, uh, you would assume that if we paid five million for him or six million for him and we bought him, his wages would have been high. There was no way they were ever going to continue that that wage bill the way it is, especially with all the parachutes now jumped off. Interesting, so um, interesting that he's um, had to go. Wigan. Interesting that he signed for Wigan though. Um, yeah, well, I, says. no, well, I can't say it's aspirational, but um, he the was one thing is Celtic he's... for a time. Yeah, and I think probably probably what happens, mate, is these guys, you know, as a guess, because we don't know, obviously, but I think what happens is there's that much speculate, you know, speculation. You know, he's going to be number two at Liverpool one day, and then he's going to be yeah, this, that, right. and the other. That that's right. You probably just literally get an offer that looks like it's concrete and it's good for you for a period of time, and you think that's what I need to do. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and he was probably literally running out of time um, to get a decent deal out of somewhere, considering no one had come by now. Yeah. That's right. I completely forgot he was linked to uh, Liverpool for a little while as a new number two for them. But it would have been a very interesting move if that one had eventuated. Um, uh, yeah, might have been so... his agent that leaked that one, mate. Yeah, yeah. Wishful thinking, perhaps for them. Um, in terms, in terms of uh, you know, one keeper left the club, and we have already moved and signed a new keeper with uh, Matt Ingram coming in from QPR. Um, not a highly rated keeper, if I must be honest, from from what I've seen or read from QPR fans and, and others who've sort of seen him play. Um, but I, I suspect he's been. So I suspect at least initially he's being brought in as a number two to to Long to see which of them uh, can stake a claim for the number one guess we'll see what happens over pre-season, which one impresses more as to see which one starts in goal at the start of the season. Um, but, you know, it is a bit hard to see when we've got guys like Manny in, in the reserves, who I, from everything I've heard is really highly rated, looks really good. Maybe the club thinks he's just a little bit too young to get thrown in as a, as a keeper, as a reserve keeper or as a starting keeper at, at points in the season. And they thought we needed an extra senior body. Uh, and I guess as a third-string keeper or second-string keeper at QPR, Ingram would have come pretty cheap. Look, probably. Um, obviously, you know, you would assume that someone's been scouting him for a while or got a pretty good dossier on him. And whether he fits in as number two or number three or, or even potentially rivaling George for number one, we probably won't know until after we've seen a few games come come together but um he seems to come sort of reasonably highly regarded even though he was the third choice keeper at QPR um I think it was someone mentioned something on one of the forums that he was still rated as technically one of QPR's best on the on the right. technical front so that's good um but I mean then again I think with keepers these days as well they, they train them so well it's all about their mentality and how they dig in at the back and run things uh, on, on match day and you just hope that he's had a little bit of presence at another club and can push on with it. I don't know what uh, friend Jakubovic's doing, but um, well, yeah, I'm sure his wages that. wouldn't uh, yeah. <laughs> be cheap enough at the moment. I don't know if you saw the message from Jakubovic a, a month or so ago where um, City fan had messaged him to sort of say, oh, you know, come home, we, we all love you. And he said something to the effect of, you know, he'd love to come back and... You know, as, no, as you well. say, it's probably a bit of the wages and that, you know, and, and of course he's just, he might be just saying that sort of thing to appease the fans or whatever it is. But, um, you know, it, it is nice to see some of those players. And, and, and I must say at this point as well, and I tweeted out today about it, but um, having just finished uh, Richard Gardham's The Decade, which was a fantastic read, it is really great to read how many players, whether they're British players or even foreign players, really take to the city and really take to the people of Hull and um, mm. genuinely really love the club for that reason and, and actually genuinely are quite happy to come back. And it's interesting weighing that up against potentially the international perception of Hull as a sort of a, a crap sort of city to live in, um, that actually a lot of the players really love it and really love the, the culture and the people and, and everything. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jakubovic was happy to come back. Uh, look, wouldn't surprise me. And probably that's, to answer your question about Ingram signing, I sort of felt like if we've got, let's say, two first-team keepers or, or thereabouts, wouldn't it be worth seeing what we could do in the loan market 
to try and get someone in. That way, your long term commitment to your wages isn't there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how many games Jakubovic just played at Leicester, but it wouldn't be more than a handful um, that I've well, heard of. So sort of League Cup and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, without knowing where he is in the pecking order, there, um, running with George and Mannion as as your your staples, and then trying to bring someone in wouldn't have hurt. Then again, we don't run the clubs, so we just sit back and observe. Um, another player who looks like he's about to sign on the dotted line for City is Ryan Tafazzoli, who's uh, training with the club at the moment um, over in Mirabella. Uh, played for McCann at Peterborough, 250 appearances in League One, was a Southampton Academy player. We know they've got a pretty decent academy, so he's cut from a pretty decent cloth. Um, hasn't played in the championship before, but I suspect if he comes in, it'll be as a sort of a depth player behind Device and Burke. Uh, and it looks like a pretty decent one. 27, so sort of at that, you know, peak of his career, good time, you know, sweet spot in his career to come in as a centre-back and, and have a couple of decent years of service. Yeah, look, and so is he part of sort of McGann's network? I, I, I wonder, that... well... Potentially, but but he, he played for him at Peterborough, but he didn't play for him at Doncaster. So he's not the sort of player who um, has sort of followed him around, so to speak, but um, clear, clearly one that McGann rates and was happy to try and bring back. Yeah, and I mean, look, we need to cover. So I think if he's got, I mean, if he's played 250 games and, I mean, the only concern probably is if he was that good, Peterborough would have fought heaven and earth to keep him. Yeah. And that's still the only thing that worries me is, is are well, we getting... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he's if, mm. if he uh, sort of wanted to challenge, him, challenge himself at a higher level and so didn't sign a new deal and that's the reason he's out of contract and free agent. Or, yeah. as you say, whether there's something else going on there and there's a reason why Peterborough didn't re-sign him. Yeah, it could be. And, again, it's one of those things where it's just rumours and so on. We don't, we don't know. I think the only thing I did see... Um, when we're looking through this, was that he's that there was another club trying to trying to lure him away, um, and it wasn't I can't remember who it was, mate, but it wasn't someone small. Um, it was certainly someone championship um, size or stature. So um, that's obviously you know he's on someone else's radar as well, which adds a little bit of a um, little bit of weight to it. Yeah, well. Another player who was lured away um, was Malik Wilkes. We were sort of in talks with him, so to speak. And um, look, I, I sort of treat a lot of the, to- the, the the reporting around this with a healthy dose of scepticism. As soon as I see the figure 1.2 million being mentioned as a fee that we had had accepted for him, I, uh, I can't help but uh, roll my eyes a little bit. And I, I've seen a few people sort of suggest that um, the owners might have had a good sense of what wage he was willing to accept and knowing that we weren't going to be able to match even Barnsley's offer, which is a little bit galling um, to <laughs> that, that they might have let the reports go out that we had a 1.2 million bid when they knew themselves there was no danger that we'd actually be paying it. Um, shows the fans with splashing a bit of money without actually splashing any money and sort of tries to appease them. But, you know, I'm a bit cynical on all of that. And um, it's it's a fr- in a way, it's a frustrating one to miss out on because he's another who McCann had at Doncaster, had a really good spell. Um, but reading into him, he, he's meant to be in court for some um, uh, assault charge or something like that. He 
was not so, sort of pulling up trees at Leeds or doing anything in the championship. They were quite happy to let him go. Um, might have been one with an attitude problem, which isn't really what you want in this sort of squad. In a, in a squad that's going to be potentially fighting a relegation battle, you want players that are going to be pulling in the same direction and, and sort of focused on, on staying up. And, and Tafazoli... Um, in a lot of ways, as a League One player, is actually sort of the player you do want, as you said before, in terms of defensive players, at least, where they've got that grit mm. and determination. Um, yeah, you want more flashy, high-scoring um, attacking options, but this kid potentially didn't sound like he would have fit the bill. Look, yeah, and, and it's hard because, you know, again, we don't get to watch him enough and our friends in the UK would probably know a lot more about him than, than maybe we get to see here, but... He certainly did do a job at Doncaster, which makes you think, okay, that's worth a look. Um, but I think this scepticism there on what the, what was being thrown around as dollars and cents goes, you know, look, let's face it, if we're going to pay one point something million for this guy, well, you roll that into Campbell's contract. Um, yeah, that's correct. When you, correct. It's just a no-brainer. So I think you, you, you nailed it, mate, that... He's worth more. It was never going to happen. So we'll make it look like we're doing something. You would think the link with McCann was strong enough that that would be enough to get over a little bit of wage difference if there was any or was going to be any. But clearly the, the deal was never going to get done at that level anyway. So, um, and that's the frustrating thing, mate. These guys make these decisions. But, you know, I'm sure if you have offered Campbell another million over the next year, year and a half, he stays. Yeah. Yeah, so, That's, um, I, I, I struggle to get my head around, and I've said it I don't know how many times, and I'm sure the listeners get sick of hearing me say it. Um, I just don't understand why we let the contracts run down to the point that they do, and we let these players leave on freeze, where surely the cost of giving them another year or two of wages is so much less than the cost of potentially paying a transfer fee and bringing in a new player who you don't have any confidence you can't say for certain that they're going to settle in and have the same impact. You know what Campbell's going to bring to the table. You know he's good for, call it, between 8 to 12 goals in the season. How are you going to get a player that's potentially going to do the same thing for, as you say, a million, a million and a half over two years? If, if that, yeah. I don't even know what, what he would have been asking for as a wage. Western Sydney, you can't be asking for too much. Well, look, I mean, and this is the thing, it's still the cost of doing business, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy that we know what we've got, we know his attitude, we, we know everything about him, and he fits the bill. And yet, we'll go and chase someone 10, 12 years younger, um, who's untrue, untried at this level, who's got a bit of grey area around his personality, who can't get a game at his regular club in the championship, um, and yet we'll throw money at that. And that's why I think you're right, mate, I think there's just smoke and mirrors and the, the money's just not there. That's I, the bottom line. Yeah, and I, I can see the I can see the idea of bringing in younger players, and like I think it's sort of what we looked at doing last summer with um, Device and Burke coming in, and I think I absolutely support the idea of bringing in those younger players with that sell-on value, the potential that they'll grow into the into the role into the club. Kevin Stewart was another one, which has you know jury's potentially still out on him, but he certainly looks to have turned it around. But you bring them in to supplement what you've got, not to replace what you've got. I know with Burke yeah, and Device, it. we sort of had to because Dawson had gone, Davies had gone. Um, oh, oh, there was a massive hole. Know, we had to fill it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but where you can try to avoid it, you bring them in to, to supplement what you've got and they can grow with the players around them rather than throw them to the wolves. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as well, probably the pedigree comes through a little bit. Like, I mean, even just when you mentioned Kevin Stewart, um, what a waste of space we thought he was at times. Um, but to his credit, I mean, he was brilliant last year, but he's, he has got some pedigree. I know he didn't do a lot at these clubs, but he, he, he was at Premier League clubs yeah. and not, not just average ones either. Um, and playing regular, at least reserve team football, which you would assume would put you on par with most championship league one club. So I think it, the, the problem you've got with, with some of these decisions is, is that you, you can't just sort of say, look, we're going to chase new players or we're going to bring in youth or we're going to supplement what we've got when we haven't actually got a lot. Um, and the concern, again, what, this is year four in a row now, we're starting pre-season with not even enough first-team players to fill a team sheet. Um, well, yeah. And that's that's where the problem lies. Like you said at the start of tonight's podcast, mate, a couple of early wins last year and we're in the top six and we're probably going to Wembley at worst. Um but when you start pre-season again with the whole, you know, famous Curtis Davies photo situation, um, what are you going to do? You, you, you're weeks and weeks behind other clubs who are, you know, some clubs are running with 40, 50 first-team training at this point of the season. You know, they're, they're culling blokes yeah, left, right and centre. Um, and here we are bringing a couple of guys in from lower leagues to supplement a first team that's just hasn't got enough cattle. Well, yeah, so speaking of uh, of games and, and lineups, we do have Leighton Orient tomorrow morning, which has prompted the uh, the first episode of the season for us. Um, Leighton Orient uh, had the really unfortunate circumstance of their manager passing away over the summer just after the season finished. So I think I saw that the club is going to sort of um, com- uh, um, uh, recognise that in some way before the game or, or, or during the game, which is really good to see. Um in terms of the on the pitch, um, players look like uh, a lot of the academy players are going to get a go. Um, and in particular, I think Keen Lewis Potter is the one that I'm really keen to keep an eye out for because as much as we talk about the lack of attacking options, and I, I think it's probably too early for him, uh, he was lighting up the uh, the under-23s last season. And... Um, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, I, I, I pull back a little bit from saying it's too early for him because I think we were all saying the same thing of one Jared Bowen two years ago and he, he lit up pre-season and we thought, well, you know, pre-season's one thing, doing it in the season's another and he'll probably take another year or two and he just took it took to the championship like a duck to water. So um, Lewis Potter, who knows if lightning strikes twice and he's the new Jared Bowen and he can sort of answer all our problems from, from out of nowhere really. Um, but yeah, he's certainly the one I've got an eye on for tonight. Yeah, and I, I do remember when he first got signed up on um, on his current contract. I remember Adkins did really talk him up, and um, I think he's obviously got enough in him to really make a. I don't know if he's Bowen-esque, but um, Adkins really did. I remember at the time thinking, right, this kid must have something because Adkins was really blowing of him. So, fingers crossed. Um, I mean, but then again, he's only, I think he's, he, is think he just turned 18, 18 or yeah, he's, he's very Yeah, so he's um, he's worth uh, worth pursuing, that's for sure, and seeing what we can get out of him while we certainly need to supplement what we've got. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are you, pre-season games are always interesting because there's that part of you that's sort of the instinct is, you know, you want to see a win, you want to do well, but at the end of the day, the more pragmatic side is, well, 
the win isn't as important as sort of seeing how players go. Usually you'd be looking for new signings to see how they bet in. We don't really have that unless this Taffazoli uh, plays and Ingram potentially, I suspect, will play a part, whether it's, you know, for a half or whatever it is. See how those guys bet in, see how the players sort of come back uh, for the start of preseason. I suspect guys like Burke and um, I think Lehigh is going to be involved as well. Um, Grzycki and Henriksen only have just joined the squad, so they're probably not going to get involved. Whether whether Milinkovic gets a run out and he can kind of have a go at trying to impress McCann because he's he's one of those guys where um, he didn't really play at all last season. So, you know, to use that famous sort of expression, he, he'd be like a new signing if he comes in and can do a job. Um, he suddenly answers at least half of the question of who replaces Grzycki and Bowen. Um, so he's a really interesting one as well to keep an eye on. Yeah, look, I think in this case, mate, we just want them all to get through fit and uh, just, you know, try and have a new hit out with the manager. He, he's probably obviously got a different, much different game style plan to what Adkins had, so there'll be a lot of adjustments that need to be made and all those sorts of things. But um, really, you know, optimistically, we get some goals. That would be the number one. Um, and number two, yeah, just everyone stays fit. Fair enough. And then I guess last thing before we go, um, what have you made of the new city kits? We've had the home kit uh, released for a couple of weeks now and then the away kit was released today. Uh, I, I really like that home kit. I think the, my only uh, criticism, my only comment on it would be it'd be good if the um, the stripes or the, the I get, what would you call it, the uh, claw marks or whatever it is, if they extended onto the sleeves, it feels that they're a little bit sort of um, stuck on and, and not they don't kind of fully extend all the way across the kit. But other than that, I think it's a really unique look. It's a really fun sort of callback to that 90s kit. Uh, and it's, yeah, something a little bit different. Yeah, I hate to disagree with you, mate. I can't stand it. I really <laughs> yeah, can't. The thought of those stripes, very... again, just brings up bad memories. <laughs> and I still think of, you know, for me... When the kits come out, it's always – well, now that the logo's changed, I would consider buying it. Um, but I always look at these kits and go, would I buy it? And that one is a definite not. I'm just yeah. not interested in those stripes. But on the flip side, the away strip, I dig. It's really good. Yeah, it's nice and clean and simple. I like the black trimming on it as well. I think they're they're almost going for a complete echo of that, that season in the 90s because I, I have a feeling that away kit that year was a white kit with black trimming as well. Um, but yeah, on the home kit, I know it's very divisive. I know people either I've, I've spoken to either love it or hate it. It's, an, it's a really interesting one how, um, how it can sort of split people so much. But... Um, It'll certainly uh, get a get get a bit of comments and bit, get get people talking. I suspect as we start to see it in action. But uh, I think my my sense is, given the fact that we've announced the away kit today, that's what we'll be running out in tonight. And uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see how the boys go tonight. So yeah, so and look, the last yeah. white kit that we had was that two thousand and eight white kit when we got promoted. That away kit was oh, a that's ripper. Good omens. Yeah. So fingers crossed, we. Win, win a lot of games on the road. Yeah. Well, yeah, fingers crossed indeed. But uh, in, in, until the season starts, or until, I guess, the next preseason game, that's uh, we'll sign off at that point. So thanks for joining me, Brad. Yeah, cheers for having me, mate. No worries. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back with more City news and City discussion after this preseason friendly and uh, looking ahead to the next one. So until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast.
For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back cause you're out